I've lived long enough now to have uh, experienced several decades in my life, and all of us know that every decade, it seems like there's fads to come along, right? There's that thing that happened, and it like went viral, and everybody was all about that, and then just like that, it just vanished. It's like, well, what, what happened to that? So I, I was thinking about some of those things that I've experienced in my life, and so here's the, the first one. How many of you remember the Slinky? Yeah, yeah, I, and so... It was Slinky's way cool. If you know anything about them, you can actually put them on a stairway, and they'll just, like, if you do it right, they'll just go all the way down the stairway, you know? And then, but who has a Slinky today? I mean, it was just, it's one of those things that came, and it went, I didn't know if you could buy these anymore. How about this one right here? El- remember, everybody remember Elmo? Remember how big Elmo was at one time? It was, like, huge, and everybody wanted an Elmo doll. It was Elmo everything. And then just like that, it just, just vanished. Or, or how about this one right here? Cabbage Patch doll, right? And I remember there was a huge demand for these, and I remember they were selling for ridiculous prices. And I'm kind of imagining today, this probably in, they're in storage somewhere, and I don't even know if they'll ever come back again, but it was like one, one day, it was just all about the Cabbage Patch doll. And then the next one, this is a little embarrassing. Okay, this is the 1980s, and everybody you know, was doing perms. I'm, I'm not going to ask who did perms, and I, I actually really hate to admit this, but my wife and I got caught up in the whole perm thing. And um, yeah, that's us right there. Both of us, perms in our hair, big hair, all that kind of stuff. Thank goodness it was a fad, right? Hopefully it never returns again. Uh, and then finally, what about this one here? Remember, anybody remember the Pet Rock? Yeah, man. And so I'm not sure what that was all about. I think, if I remember correctly, the Pet Rock was about for people that were too lazy to actually have a dog or a cat. And so and this guy, that, what an crazy, crazy invention it was. Uh, it went really big. He made a whole bunch of money off of it. Uh, that, that little booklet there, like 32 pages on how to take care of your pet rock. Like, wow. And then just like that, it vanished. It was just gone. What if our faith was like that? What if our faith was just like a fad that went and then vanished? I hate to say this, but throughout my lifetime, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to a lot of people. One day, it's like, hey, Ronnie got Jesus, you see, you know, and at work, they're saying, Ronnie got religion, and Ronnie's all fired up, and then, you know, three years later, it's like, gone. Hey, what, what happened to Ronnie? Ah, oh, you know, just a phase I was going through. Or Sally, same thing. Yeah, she was just on fire for God, and then what, what, what happened to her? I want to talk about something that is bigger than that. It's, it's not just a fad. It's, it's a movement. It's an unstoppable movement. And we see this story played out at the, really, the, the, the story of this is found in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. By the way, if you need notes, um, they're on the back table there, and, and maybe Mark, if, if, raise your hand and he'll pass you some notes if you just want to follow along with that. But uh, as you're turning there, Acts one of my very favorite books, was written by Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, and he tells the story of the church. He tells the story of, of how this amazing movement called the church got started. And if you recall, you know, G, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, uh, Jesus comes back from uh, the crucifixion. He's resurrected. He spends 40 days hanging out with the disciples and, and followers. And then he leaves. And when he leaves, he goes, hey, here's what I need you to do. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, nobody knows what that means, but then chapter 2 happens. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on uh, these believers, 
and suddenly it just goes viral. And there's not hundreds, but in, literally in one day, there are thousands of believers. And so this continues. There's miracles taking place. Um, you know, the, the people that are opposed to Jesus are really struggling with this. They're hoping that it's just a fad. They're hoping that it's just like, you know, kind of a movement that sort of fizzles out at some point. But here's where we, we pick up the story in verse uh, 16. It says, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Now, this blows my mind when I, I'm thinking, wait a second, people are being healed, people are being helped, beautiful, wonderful things are happening, but there's this whole other group of people that consider, consider themselves to be followers of God. They're going, we don't like what's going on. Verse 18, and so they were arrested, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public jail. Now, it doesn't say how many of the apostles were arrested, but, you know, they just said, round up the boys, you know, put them in jail, we got to stop this movement. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. And, and when the high priest and his associate, associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of elders of Israel, and sent for the jail, jail for the, the apostles. So just for a moment, I want you to get a, sort of a visual on what this might look like. What kind of a room are the apostles going to walk into? So they're going to walk into a room, and this is the Jewish supreme court of all things religion, right? And there would be between 70 and 100 of these, these men, Highly educated, very wealth, wealthy, very, very powerful men. And so this is what the apostles are going to face when they walk in, into this room. And by the way, very unhappy men about this whole thing, this movement going on. But arriving on the jail, the officers did not find them there. And so they went back and they reported, well, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guards and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And then someone come and they said, they said, look, the men that you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At this, the captain with his officers brought the, his officers and, and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. So kind of interesting moment. They're, they're going to arrest them gently, Right? Because all the people are going, this is wonderful. These guys are doing beautiful, amazing things, and you're going to arrest them? The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you have determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, and I love this reply. We must obey God rather than human beings. We're not listening to you. We're going to listen to God. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. Wow. 
How can we learn from this? How can we be inspired uh, about this, this great movement that started 2,000 years ago? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so what we have is not just a movement. What we have is a movement empowered, infused with a whole different kind of, of power that, that it could actually move hundreds of years forward. And here we are in 2020, and the movement is still going, going strong. Now, one thing that's interesting about this movement, like any great movement, is, is, is that you always have your fans and you always have your foes. And it's so true, especially as it relates to, to the church. Notice that on the one hand, the crowds are gathered around. They're excited. People are getting healed. Everything is, is beautiful, and people are cheering this on. On the other hand, verse 18, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in jail. They, they wanted to stop this movement. In 1979, um, I just recently gotten out of um, college, and uh, I was excited to get in ministry, super excited, and I landed a job, I landed a staff position right out of college, and uh, I could not have been more excited. I'd studied for it, I knew that I was called to it, that I would be in ministry, and I assumed all of my life, when I say ministry, we're all called to ministry, but I'm talking about vocational ministry. And so I, I come to this church in a place called Lodi, California. Maybe you've heard of Lodi. And, and it's a big church. And I, immediately I've got a huge youth group and everything is great except for one thing. And that is that um, this, this church is really divided. In fact, I, I, this church had these factions in it and people are fighting inside this church with each other. And I'll never forget, I've probably been there maybe two months or something like that. And I was called to go to a church meeting. My, my pastor said, you have to be there. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, young 24-year-old Steve Mbachi, I'm going to go to this church meeting, and it's going to be great. It was terrible. It was one of the worst things I ever experienced. People were shouting each other down across the auditorium. And there was all, and so I remember at that point thinking to myself, do I actually want to be a part of this? Like, God, what did you actually call me to? This is terrible. And what I didn't know then is, is that I was being very naive. That, that yeah, it's a, it's a great movement, but it's a movement made up of people, and people are messy, including me. And so I, I look at all these years later, and, and I realize, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the history of the church, the church has really hurt itself a lot through the years. A lot of self-inflicted wounds. Can we all agree on that? On that. And yet the church, all these years later, is still standing strong, despite ourselves. You know, sometimes, sometimes the enemy is us. Sometimes we're the opposition to what God is actually trying to do. And, and, and so at some point in time, as I began to realize this, just, just the way it was, pe people are people, I thought to myself, do I want to be a part of the solution or do I want to be a part of the problem? Do I want to be on the side of the church that's been around for a couple thousand years or do I want to poke fun at it and stand back and like everybody else and be critical of it? And there's a lot to be critical of if, if we're honest. Well, look what's happening here. Verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's the beginning of the church, the power of church. But then opposition, right? Friends and foes. Then the high priest and all of his associates were members of the party and said, said, we're filled with jealousy. And so the question is, which one will I be to the church? 
will I be one who helps the church to go forward? Probably nobody faced this more than the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote a lot of his letters from prison for doing the right thing. You know, it's one thing if you get put into jail or prison for doing the wrong thing. Like, you know, you're sitting there beating yourself up going, man, I can't believe I did that. But this is a guy, the Apostle Paul, who's always trying to do the right thing, and he keeps on ending up in prison for doing the right thing. So what kind of a perspective would he have, especially when a lot of these letters that he writes from the prison is to churches that are fighting with each other? Like, what was that all about? And so in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, listen, listen to it. This is a perspective that the Apostle Paul gives to us about the movement that he's a part of. And it says, is it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and robbery, but others out of goodwill? The latter do so out of love, knowing that, it, knowing that I am there for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, if he had just left it right there, a lot of us would go, totally get you, Paul. Seen it, you know, a lot of fakes out there. A lot of people out there, they're in it for the wrong reason. This is one of the reasons I struggle with the church, the whole idea. But then look what he says in verse 18. But what does it matter? Really, Paul? He says, what, uh, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Ba basically, Paul is saying is the movement is bigger than us. It's, it's more powerful than us. It's bigger than our divisions. It's bigger than our disagreements. And so Paul says, you know what? <laughs> and Paul would know. He was in the middle of a lot of crazy stuff. I'm with the movement. The Holy Spirit's powerful. We're, we're just going to keep on going because basically this is an unstoppable movement. It's also a movement of hardship. It's like every great movement. You know, again, you have your friends and, and you have your enemies. Jesus warned us. He said, if you're going to follow me, didn't Jesus say, if you're going to follow me, life is going to be beautiful, it'll be like a party, it'll be like a walk in the park, everything's going to be wonderful, you'll never start. Did Jesus say that? If anybody ever told you that, they lied to you. Jesus didn't say that. In fact, Jesus said, chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 33, he says, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribula tribulation, you're, you're, it's, it's going to be difficult. He says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He warned us. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, you know, he's the same guy that said, pick up your cross and follow me. And a cross was not something of entertainment. It wasn't something you wore around your neck. It wasn't going to be easy. Well, here's what Paul one day said to his young understudy. So when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was an old man. It was the last letter he ever wrote. And he's trying to raise up this young guy named Timothy, and he's trying to prepare him for what he's going to face. And so this is what he says to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. And then he gets into this. And persecutions and suffering. What, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? And the persecutions that I endured? He said, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? Could be persecuted? Possibility of being persecuted? No. It says if you want to really live a godly life in Christ Jesus, there will be persecution. Now look at folks. We live in America, right? 
And so nobody's going to come haul us off to jail because we believe. As a matter of fact, I'm so thankful to live in this country where we have religious freedom. I'm thankful that we have people that have that fought for our, our freedoms. But there is still persecutions as a believer that you will face. It makes me think of a guy that I went to college with, Steve. He was uh, Jewish. Grew up in uh, New York City and, you know, grew up in a Jewish family. And uh, one day, uh, he had an experience with Jesus. And so he comes home and he tells his very Jewish family about his newfound faith. And an it wasn't received well. As a matter of fact, they didn't want him to come back, and they told him, they said, you know what? They said, we would rather that you have been a drug addict or a communist than a Christian. Anything but be a Christian. So I'm, I'm just saying that. I know that's kind of an extreme example, but I'm just saying, when you and I come to faith, and some of you know this on a personal level, it's not always going to be met with, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you became a Christian. I just think that's the greatest thing. You know that sometimes your co-workers are going to go, oh boy. You know that people in your family, like my friend Steve, might just go, no, nah, no thank you. And so there are levels of persecution that we have been warned that you can experience. We know that in a lot of countries today, it's, it's, it's far, far wor worse than that. And then in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this persecution thing a little bit. And um, he actually says persecution has a purpose. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought it that way, of, of it that way, but, you know, a lot of times when I'm suffering, here's the way I experience it. I hate this. Get me out of the suffering. I don't like, I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. But, but here's what he says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You know, when I'm, when I'm suffering... When, I'm, when it's really painful, you know what I need? I just need some hope. You, you, like, am I ever going to get to the other side of this? Am, am I ever going to get through this? And he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a purpose. You know, so Jesus said, if you follow me, you could be persecuted. If you follow me, there might be some suffering involved. And, then, and Paul said, and by the way, it produces some great stuff in your life. You know, perseverance and love and endurance, all those things. So, we're going to have our friends and we're going to have our foes. Now, here's the thing. Out of the conviction, the out, excuse me, we need to act out of the conviction that people cannot stop what God sets in motion. Let me give you an example of this. In 1953, the Chinese government threw all the missionaries out of China. And, you know, it's a communist government, right? And they said, we don't want anybody of faith. We don't want Bibles. We don't want Christian organizations. We don't want any of that. So in 1953, they chased out all the missionaries and anything that was of Christianity. And they said, well, that takes care of that. Well, and so nobody knew what was going on in China. As far as we knew and all the people that really cared about it, it was like, well, I guess Christianity died in China. I mean, they tried to eradicate it. They tried to eliminate it. They tried to just destroy it. But in 1979, Jimmy Carter, then president, uh, opens up negotiations with China. We reestablish relationships with China. And China at that point says, okay, 
You can come back in. So, you know, our missionaries and our Christian organizations go rushing in. Everybody's wondering the same thing. What happened? Are there any Christians left in China? And what they discover is at least 50 million Christians are in China. And, and the, the, the movement didn't go away. It went underground, and it got bigger than ever. You can't stop this movement. So what I find interesting today is you've been tracking with the Chinese government. They're trying to do the same thing again now. They're going back to 1953, and they're saying, you know what? We don't want any religion in our country. And so they're chasing out the missionaries, and they're chasing out all the Christian organizations, and there's a level of persecution that is starting to happen in China. And I, it's, to me, it's almost comical, even though it's tragic. The comical part of it is I'm thinking, oh, so you didn't get it? Like the first time you tried this, it totally backfired, and you have more Christians you could have ever imagined, and now you're going to do it again? But that's, that's what hatred will do for you. It blinds you to the truth. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, and he brought them out. God said, you know what? This is a movement that's not going to stop, even if I have to open prison doors to get people out. One of the things that we see from the apostle Peter, and I love that, that Peter said, you know what? We're going to listen to God. We are not going to listen to anybody but God. God's voice is the priority over the majority. Now, I'll be honest with you. This has been a struggle for me, especially earlier in my ministry, because um, I'm a, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. But, you know, it, like I want to be popular. I want to be well thought of. You know, I want to say yes to everybody. But I discovered very, very early in my ministry if you're going to really follow God, you, you can't do that. You have to listen to God's voice over the voice of the culture, over the voice of uh, family and, and peer pressure and everything else that will come your way. You, God says, now you listen to my voice. And Peter gets it. Peter said, you know what? I know you, you, you want to shut us up. I know you're telling us that you're going to arrest us and flog us and kill us and everything else. But you know what? We're not listening to you. We are listening to God. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. You don't get to vote on it. God says, I, I have my ways. You're either with me or, or you're not. And so in my lifetime, I've learned that whenever I listen to God's voice over the voice of any kind of pressure out there, I always win. I always do better. God does great things. And, and, and maybe that's a sticking point in your life right now. Maybe right now in your life, you want to do this because you know this is the thing God wants you to do, but you're being pressured to do something different. Think about that for a moment. Let's get back in the story. Acts 5, verse 34. Let's see what happens. This is a great story. I love this story. Thirty-four. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered the men be put outside for a little while. This guy, by the way, this guy is um, a very prominent figure. He, he's well thought of. Um, he actually, the Apostle Paul studied under this guy, so he's like a huge figure to all of the Sanhedrin. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. He said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, 
Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in a revolt. He, too, was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. In other words, he was saying it will be an unstoppable movement. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and they had them flogged anyway. Jeez. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they, they let him go. Let me ask you a question. This is, this is a, kind of a soul-searching kind of a question. And the question is, is God involved in my current pursuits? In other words, can I say that the origins of what I'm doing today, that God is in it, whether it's my career, whether it's uh, my relationships I have with people, whether it's my marriage, whether it's my dating life, whether, whatever it is, is God involved in those areas of my life that I'm all about? Because see, see, when I look at this, and he's basically saying, is, if God is in it, nobody can stop it. I want to be about that. Like, I, I want to I know that in my relationships, in the way that I do life, in the way that I do my finances, in the way, if, if God is in it, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm kind of unstoppable. Because God is in it. But if, he says, if it's of a human origin, it's going to go nowhere. It's going to fail. It'll fizzle. It'll be like one of those, those fads. You know, it was good for, you know, a year, and then it just went away. Is God involved in my current pursuits in my life? That's a big question to ask yourself. And if not, maybe some of you might need to change course a little bit. Say, yeah, actually, God's not involved. Truth be known, he's not involved. Think about that. What would that mean to you? And then we're unstoppable when we commit to living God's mission both publicly and privately. Look what happens next, verse 41, 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped. Say it with me. They what? They never stopped. They what? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were unstoppable. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, Sometimes when I think about, well, if I was one of those apostles and I had just been flogged, you know, I mean, my back was all torn up, 39 lashes on the back, and they said, so, Snibombachi, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Well, I might have been tempted to say, can we just tone it down a little bit? Like, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll go outside the city. We won't talk in the city. I mean, I, I know, I just, I think of how, but these guys powered up by the Holy Spirit, miracles taking place, they go, no, you're not going to stop us. And thank goodness they didn't. Because here we are 2,000 years plus later, reaping the benefits of those unstoppable people. Say, this movement is of God, and we're not backing down from this. That's what a spirit-empowered life really is all about. It doesn't make us invincible, but it does make us unstoppable. Because one day, they all died. In fact, almost all of the apostles were murdered, martyred, 
and, and with, with, with the exception of John. They all died. But you know what? The movement kept going. And the movement will outlive you. And the movement will outlive me. I think what the question is, so do I want to be a part of that movement? I think you do. I think we all do. I, th I think that's why you're here. You realize it's something bigger than us, something that's been around a long time. So here's another question. In what areas of my life do I most need God's unstoppable power in, in my life? What would that be? You say, you're here today, and you say, yeah, I've given up in this area of my life. I, I've backed down in, in that area of my life. And I, I just need God's unstoppable power in my life. What would that be for you? You know, when I think about that, I think about this church. I think about the fact that 22 years ago, we came to this community against everybody's advice. And they all told us the same thing. And I'm talking about people that loved me and cared for my wife and I, and people that were, they thought they were looking out for us. And they said, I know you're looking to start a plant church, to plant a church. Do not, do not go to Pacific Beach. And, and the word, there is a name, they, they called this place a spiritual graveyard for pastors. And so I'm here to tell you 22 years later that I'm still alive, as far as I know. And this church is still alive, and God is still moving through this church, and we have seen so many people come to know Jesus in this church. And we have seen so many people that have been set free from everything you can imagine, addiction. We've seen marriages restored in this church. We've seen, we've seen families come back together in this church. See, one of the reasons that we are here in this community is because nobody else wants to be in this community to pastor a church. I mean, it really is. I, in the time that I've been here, in these 22 years, there have been no less than, and probably a lot more than, 25 people that have come here to start a church and then just decide they wanted to leave. It's a very unchurched area. I was having a conversation with Trevor back there, one of my, my tech people, during the halftime, and we were, we were talking about that a little bit. And it's not that, it's not like I'm here and, and the reason that we're, it's so difficult is because people are persecuting me. Nobody's persecuting me in this community. They're just ignoring me. That's why we're here. I mean, to me, that's almost like the worst kind of persecution. You almost feel like you're kind of irrelevant at times. But we're not. Because people do come. And, and one of the things that I want to say, just before we close here, is this. We've been here for 22 years at this school, but we would like to have a building. And last year, somebody helped us, blessed us with a huge gift. And so we have some money. And I would like you to pray with me about having our own building. I, we've had an impact these 22 years, but I think a building would kind of help us to take it to the next level. And we're looking right now. Um, and so would you, would you pray with us about that? Would you think about how you can be involved in that? Because I believe with all my heart that we're going to find that place we're going to find that location, that space, whatever it is. But I need you to be praying with us, and I also need you to be scouting for us, too. Like, we're looking, okay? It's out there somewhere. It's going to be the next thing that God does for us. And it's going to be a part of the unstoppable movement of God in this community. Pray, me, pray with me, if you would. Lord, we, we thank you for those early apostles 
men and women who put it on the line, who said, we're not backing down. You can tell us to be quiet, but we're not going to be quiet. And they paid a price for it. But Lord, on their blood, the church moved forward. And all these years later, with all of the bad history the church has, things that we're embarrassed about, all these years later, the church continues to move forward. Yeah, messy at times, but God, you are in it, infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that if somebody is experiencing an area of their life where they feel like they're failing, where they've given up, where they feel defeated, that they would open their life and their heart to you right now to receive that unstoppable power, power of the Holy Spirit into their life. If, if you're here today, and I'm just for a moment, you can open your eyes. If you're here today, and you say, that describes something that's going on in my life right now. Like, I need, I, I feel like there's an area of my life, and you and God know, but I just need you to pray for me, because that, that's a bad area of my life. I've given up, or I, it's an area of defeat. I can't seem to overcome it, whatever it is. Just raise your hand. I want to just, my closing prayer, I want to I pray for you. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. Okay, anybody else? All right. Jesus, right now, for these that have responded to you by the raising of their hand, God, I, I pray that you would bring to them hope and help them to know that there is an unstoppable power. It's bigger than them. And you, whatever they're facing, however it just it seems impossible in their life, help them to know in this moment you're going to help them, you're going to be there with them, you're going to give them the strength. It, whatever it is that they need, Lord, I pray that today and tomorrow and this week they'll begin to experience some of that unstoppable power that you can bring into their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.